Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to rest, to test and approve what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the New International Version translation, and we'll have other ones throughout the week. Over the next five days, I hope we will be able to look at this quotation from Romans 12. On the last day, we'll take the whole thing, not just this piece, and see what it might have to say to us today as individuals, as friends in New England, as citizens of the United States, as human beings. We'll pull it apart, examining in closer detail today what it might mean to be conformed to this world. That's today. Tomorrow, what it might mean to be transformed, that Zenef has said so eloquently already today. And Tuesday, what it might mean to renew our minds. Then the next day, what it might mean to prove or test something. And finally, on the last day, what it might mean by that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Before I begin, I want to ask your forgiveness. I hope to bring up topics that will touch us in our deeper parts. I'm aware that all of us here have many different experiences and see things through our differing lenses. In spite of my efforts to be tender and inclusive, it's probably inevitable that I'm going to step on toes and cause some pain. And for this, I ask you to forgive me and be willing to teach me as I will try to be open to learning. I also want to war warn you that these talks are billed as Bible half hours, and so I will intend to use some biblical words like God and Christ. And these words have accumulated multiple meanings of both positive and negative, and your understanding of them might not be what I'm thinking of when I use them. So please, translate these words in whatever ways work for you. Each of us, each of you, each of us, should speak the authentic language of our heart without holding back for fear of offending. The burden of translation has to be on the hearers because the speaker cannot possibly know the heart language of each of you. I also want to affirm John Hegel's statement that, quote, human beings are inherently religious. The hunger for God is like a pilot light in the core of our psyche. It burns as a quiet, persistent flame to remind us of the eternal longing of our heart, end of quote. The New International Version translation of that first phrase, which I read today, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So let's take a few minutes to consider the word pattern. Of course it has resonances for us friends because of Fox's famous epistle about being patterns, be examples. But what is the pattern of this world? We do not live in a random or chaotic world, but a world of complex, interrelated ecologies and systems, a world of patterns. Friends called the underlying structures 
gospel order, and they knew that it was good. A biblical term for at least the human patterns and systems is the powers. Some of you may be familiar with Walter Wink's thorough exploration of the powers, stemming from his reading of Revelation. Mennonite John Howard Yoder points out that the New Testament uses the term powers to refer to all the various structures throughout both the natural and the human worlds. And Paul insists that the powers, structures, systems were created by Christ, Logos, the spirit of energy that created everything. So what do we do about this? We cannot live without patterns or systems or structures of organizations. We're social animals. However, we humans have taken the systems that define our various cultures and have warped and twisted them. They do not serve us like they could or should, but instead they enslave us in a wide variety of damaging ways. We can't simply eliminate them because we humans need some kind of structures. Instead, the domination that these warped systems have over us needs to be reordered so that they can be made to serve us rather than us being forced to serve them. We are taught that the economic, political, and social structures in which we live are inevitable, intrinsic to human nature, and can perhaps be tweaked a bit here and there, but cannot be fundamentally altered. We're talking about the systems of market capitalism, the systemic disempowerment and exploitation of racism, the flawed electoral and representative system that passes for democracy, as well as the values that support these systems, such as progress defined as infinite growth, that violence can be redemptive, that more is better. These are all lies, lies that we've been told because, in fact, these values and systems are not immutable, and they are not foreordained. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Fritz reminded us last night that there are things that we need to say no to. So let's take a look at this world that we're urged not to accommodate to, not to conform to, not to be co-opted or seduced by. Remember that the first step in confronting violence or racism or exploitation is awareness. We need to remain attentive to life, even in the midst of banality, heedlessness, and brutality. This morning's talk is going to be a downer. And if you're here only for one day, I'm sorry that you won't be able to hear more hopeful words tomorrow. <laughs> what I intend to do today is to look at the empire, our United States empire, and examine our times and cry out about what's happening all around us and pierce through the numbness Join in solidarity with those who are caught in the midst of it and grieve. 
Grief is the antidote to the numbness, which is the condition that the empire would prefer us to be in. Albert Schweitzer, who was a major hero of my childhood, pleaded, think occasionally of the suffering of which you spare yourself the sight. Think occasionally of the suffering of which you spare yourself the sight. Given the current climate of privilege and moral injury that we're experiencing in the world and among friends, these next comments will be from my own privileged position. I acknowledge that this is not the condition of everybody here, and certainly not in the wider society. I also am relatively new to New England Yearly Meeting, and I don't know what all you've been doing. So if I'm skipping over some of the really good things, I'm sorry. It's very difficult for those of us who partake of class and white privilege to feel the depths of lamentation. We assume we can walk away from an encounter with the police. We assume we will have sufficient food, clothing, housing, and medical care. We assume that the ill effects of climate change and climate disruption will not affect us seriously. We're part of the implicated resistance. The implicated resistance. And it should keep us humble to remember how much we profit from this system we try to resist. I hardly know where to begin to name the patterns, systems, and cultural structures that enmesh us. So I'll point to a few that may be buzzwords for some here, or maybe unfamiliar concepts for some of you. It's just a list, and it's not exhaustive. There's many more. I'll start with the doctrine of discovery. Remember, New England Yearly Meeting passed a minute about this in 2013. Subduing the earth. Colonialist mentality. Social Darwinism. Ayn Rand. Inequality and injustice. The Sixth Great Extinction, Hubris, Anthropocentrism, Racism and White Supremacy that distort the legal, prison, education, employment, housing, and health systems, Thawing Permafrost, Releasing Huge Quantities of Methane, Homophobia and attacks on trans and other people perceived as different and therefore to be feared. Sexism, classism, ableism, and all the ways humans categorize and diminish one another. Commodification of everything that can possibly be reduced to a dollar value for some individual or entity to profit from. what is happening to the growing and availability of healthful food. The obvious and blatant corruption in high places setting the tone 
that only fools obey the law, that helping one another is for suckers. Conscious, deliberate destruction of the commons. The commons, those things that should be held for the good of the entire people, most obviously in terms of air, water, soil, pure food, effective medicines, all these things we need to survive, as well as our national parks and forests and monuments. The twisting of care of ill fellow humans for a profit-driven enterprise. Bellicose statements inflaming tension with North Korea, Iran, Russia, and even Cuba. The murder of yet another black person by police. Another immigrant family torn apart. Another desperate refugee family fleeing violence stoked by U.S. policies and arms sales and yet denied refuge. If you feel your eyes stinging, if you want to pour out a lamentation, this morning's message has done what it was intended to do. If you feel yourself shutting down under this torrent of evil, or want to turn away and grab a cup of coffee and some distracting small talk, please try to hang in here with us for a little while longer. Tears can cut through where reason and arguments beg to be refuted or managed by arguments or denial or going numb. Tears wash away the numbness. Tears are a necessary first step. I'm going to pause and ask each of you to turn to a neighbor and in a single sentence say what most breaks your heart and then open your heart to listen to your neighbor's anguish. And then let's hold this pain in silence together as we weep and implore God's mercy on us. Oh God, have mercy on us. How can we possibly deal with the enormity of such evil? And I use the word advisedly. Think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, the symbol and the place and the people that he loved and who would not listen. Think of John Woolman contemplating the horrors endured by the slaves in the silver mines of Peru. Woolman wept, but then he did something else. While he probably never did have silver buckles or buttons or ornaments, he stopped using silver tableware and cups, even at the price of some embarrassment and awkwardness when he visited friends. Whether we like it or not, most of us here 
are citizens of the empire. Whether or not this empire thinks of us as first, second, or third class citizens. But the question facing us is how we can make use of that to inaugurate change from empire through transformation into God's realm. Paul was a citizen of the empire. What did he do with his privileged status? He didn't reject it. There's no record that he felt guilty about it, but he used it to his and his message's advantage. He used what he'd been given. He didn't conform to the usual understanding of how a Roman citizen felt and acted, but he took advantage of the perks of citizenship to carry his message to the heart of the empire, to Rome itself. Are we asked to do the same? And if so, what might this look like? The very early church, that is the Jesus movement before it became institutionalized, demonstrated life together that was not in thrall to the powers. It was a rejection of both the violence of the, ze the zealots and the um, Maccabeans and the realpolitik of the Sadducees who were the collaborators. John Yoder is clear, the church, us, did not and should not attack the powers, but is to concentrate on not being seduced by them. It's defensive. When Paul enumerated those weapons that Christians are supposed to use, the ones listed in Ephesians, you know, the girdle, breastplate, shoes, helmet, short sword. I was surprised to learn that these are all defensive weapons. So the church's job, our job as a religious society, is to demonstrate the new system taught by Jesus, to demonstrate the way the powers ought to be organized and structured to come into gospel order. We are implicated resistors. We have accommodated to the world in many ways that we're not even aware of. Not only must we pay attention to the evil in the systems in which we are enmeshed, we need to become more deeply aware of how those systems have inscribed themselves on our psyches. We have inherited an automatic fear of the other, those who are not like me in some definable way. Too often, we assume fear rather than openness. We assume competition rather than cooperation. We automatically assume suspicion rather than respect. It has been said that the greatest ethical challenge of the 21st century is to learn to respect the other. This doesn't mean some nice toleration or politically correct stance. It involves, to quote priest and scholar John Hegel, facing our fears and naming our demons of being honest about the reality of prejudice 
and subconscious forms of discrimination in our lives, end quote. In other words, we need to pick up all the defensive weapons we can to resist the blandishments, life as usual, the ease of getting along to get al going along to get along that the dominant culture offers to us. The world is a mess, and we humans have made it so. It didn't start out that way. Remember, God created it, and it was good. With God's help, we humans can make changes. The United States, in too many ways, is leading the world on this destructive, selfish, short-sighted, violent, racist path. It has become acceptable and apparently even protected here to let the ugly, racist, xenophobic, homophobic hatred that has always been present in this country to become public and to be acted upon. Congress is aiding and abetting. Votes are being suppressed and vicious attack ads are already being funded and aired in anticipation of November 2018. The media is co-opted. The surveillance state has all the tools it needs. The police are being militarized and the court has been packed. The prognosis is not good. We must remember, meaning that we must be willing to live with the conscious intentionality and to carry the consequences of our history. We must grieve and we must do more. It's an act of courage to remember our collective history in a world of cultural and media amnesia. Remember the things done in our name as citizens of the empire, or even as members of New England Yearly Meeting long ago. Grieve, but do not forget. Our hope lies in imagining a new vision. Brazilian Presbyterian liberation theologian Rubem Alves defines hope as the insight that imagination is more real and reality less real than it looks. That imagination is more real and reality less real than it looks. Tomorrow, God willing, we'll look more closely transformation.